Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yeah, buddy. Happy Thursday morning. It's the Tropical MBA Podcast. I am joined by Jesse, the Dominator Lawler, standing in like a hero, like a dominator, in the stead of the boss man. Welcome to the program, sir. Hey, thank you so much. I was actually thinking on the way over here, um, you know, a good piece of advice is never step into a great man's shoes. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm <laughs> trying, trying to be a sub for Ian on this podcast. This is like the, the ultimate bad idea, but here I am. Here you are. I, you know, actually the internet wire under the ocean broke from the U.S., so Skype isn't working. Some fish was swimming too fast. Here we are. This one's at tropicalmba.com slash 1K. We're going to be answering a lot of listener questions today, including how to get to that first thousand and beyond a month of location-independent income. First off, a Merry Christmas out to everybody. I guess, happy holidays. Happy holidays. <laughs> Tomorrow is Christmas. So. The Vietnamese, they're all about Christmas. What's going on in this country? At it's like the Vietnamese coffee shops, man. It's, it's, it's jingle everywhere. Jingle everything. It is Christmas lights everywhere. Everybody's out on the streets, in the malls. It's been a pretty vibrant scene, actually. I want, I want to throw a quick little business idea to somebody, which is just to come up with a couple new Christmas songs. It's like every <laughs> single like rotation play of Christmas songs. It's like it's the same 10 songs redone by different artists, but like... I feel like that's a market opportunity for some songwriter out there. Just just give me a new Christmas jingle. Matt Newton from the Web Agency Podcast gave five stars for this show. Let's give the applause effect. Said, this podcast changed my life. These guys, uh, thanks to these guys, I pulled the trigger to go overseas and become location independent. The consequences of this decision have been disastrous. No, <laughs> have been simply amazing. I visited a stack of new countries, made great friends, and participated in one of the Internet's best communities. Thank you, Matt Newton, for all your support, buddy. Uh, Loving. I I can't believe this guy took... We're going to talk about how to podcast this episode as well. Matt Newton is one of those guys who has been away from the podcast way too long. He's a brilliant mind. He's a great public speaker. He spoke at DC. Yeah. He's hilarious. Mm -hmm. He's insightful. Great SEO guy. Great marketer. So thank you so much, Matt Newton. Finally, one more iTunes review. Five stars. Dan in real life. Check this one out. I met Dan randomly at a cafe in Saigon yesterday. Hmm, how about that? He looked like the guy in the photograph. I wasn't drinking a coconut, so I asked him if he was Dan Andrews, and he said, yeah, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) This guy is as cool and personable in real life as he is over the pod waves. Despite a recent drastic cutback in my information diet, like rice in Vietnam, the Tropical MBA podcast remains a vital staple. Thank you, David, for your kind review and... For recognizing me without the coconut, yeah. I was going to say that. That's moving up in the world, man. People can recognize you without the trademark coconut. All right, uh, I was about ready to call you Ian. All right, Dominator, we've got a bunch of listener questions. Are you prepared? Are you ready to go? Barely. All I'm right. Conscious. The first one is is me. I have for you. What have we learned from working on Valet Up together? So if the listeners don't know, we are business partners in a new venture, ValetUp.com. You've primarily been working with with Ian on it. Um, I'm so curious to know, Taylor's now in San Diego. We've got the product rolled out. We've got people paying us money. What have we learned from the first few customers through the door? 
You know, I, I, th I think probably, well, when we first started talking about this, we started using the term MVP, a minimum viable product, and, and we're, we're going to do it that way. And, and then we kind of started thinking about features and like, oh, you know, it would be nice to do this, it would be nice to do that. And, um, you know, like a, as a developer, it's like features get me excited and I think they got all of us excited. And we, we started kind of glomming on a bunch of things, uh, you know, and making a fairly large feature set, which, which A, takes, you know, some time and some thinking and just as, as you add a linear number of features, things tend to get multiplicatively more complicated. So our um, time to market was about six months. Yeah, that, that's true. And anyway, what, we, what we've learned since getting it out there, and, and Taylor's been you know, especially involved in sort of you know, pulling this information back in from, from the real people that are using it, is that less is more and probably some of the features that we thought, hey, wouldn't this be cool, are, are not really, they're not solving problems anybody has. Mm -hmm. um, so right now we're, we're actually getting ready to release Valley Up version 2.0. We're making the jump from, I think, 1.4 or something like that, which is in the store now. To a, to a big jump to two, where we're actually slashing some features, um, combining several screens within the app, and, and really trying to make it something that a first-time user could pick up and use without any documentation and figure out what's going on. So I, I guess you know that's one of the big lessons learned is you know probably the MVP would have been a better idea. And it, like we use the term MVP, but we quickly I think got away from remembering what that term actually means and sticking to that as sort of a rubric when we were making decisions. Um, rubric, that's part of the Tropical MBA podcast drinking game, by the way. So you're getting people <laughs> drunk as well. Hey, speaking of getting drunk, there's a lot of people talking about SaaS apps as a big opportunity for people who want to get into entrepreneurship. Right. Now, I've always disagreed with this in general because I think it's one of the toughest business models for people just getting into entrepreneurship to execute on. Because you have to know how to, you have to manage developers, you have to spend a lot of money, it's a lot of resources. So if someone were to come to you and say, Jesse from Evil Genius Technologies, I wanna buy an app very similar to valetup.com from you, what would be the price tag on something like that? Now you're a guy who can actually deliver mm -hmm. ballpark. What are people gonna spend on that MVP? A robust app. That has a web if, portion. If, if they're buying it from an American, an Australian, a British developer, something like that, it's it's probably going to be a high five figure, low six figure price tag. Okay. You're probably. I mean, the thing with pricing out software is you could go with the same sort of functional specification to you know a variety of companies in in India or Bangladesh or you know whatever your favorite uh, country where they have developers um, at, at much reduced prices. And you're going to get a lot of people say, yes, I will build exactly that for you for $5,000. And you might be the one lightning strike that actually hits in the perfect spot and gets it. But I, I think, you know, largely this is, this th that, that, will be, that will be impossible in reality. It's like somebody who does win the lottery every time, but it's probably not going to be you and you don't want to be gambling your, your business idea yes. on, on being the lottery winner. And this is, this is why I take issue with it. I don't say it's, it's not something you should absolutely not do is start, but for every SaaS product out there, there's a consultative version. There's a services version, mm -hmm. right? There's other ways to solve those problems without SaaS. I look at what we've done together. Ian, an uh, expensive guy in his own right, spending six months working with you on a daily fashion. Yeah. Taylor, working customer service on a daily thing. You drop in the six-figure price point, and we're just getting started. And this software does not break any technology boundaries. Right. Not, not as a, you know, I mean, like, we're not sending a rocket to the moon. We're not doing facial recognition or anything. I mean, this is 
Basically, Wait, marketing, I thought we were sending a rocket to the moon <laughs> later on. It's quarter two, 2014. We're taking technology that exists in other marketplaces and applying it in a unique fashion to our marketplace. So, I mean, this is just a little bit of a warning shot for people that think this is an opportunity for your first run out of the gate. I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, I'll, I'll add something to that, which is they'd like... I, I, I'm a guy that can develop a SaaS application, but like I would be scared of, of doing it as sort of a first time entering the market. What what made me feel comfortable about this one was the fact that, you know, I had you guys as the marketing end of things and the business intelligence end of things, because I just knew that there's, you know, I could probably figure that stuff out with enough time, but like my personal bandwidth doesn't allow it to try to handle both the technical side of what's necessary and keeping sort of the whole application in my head as it's, you know, gelling and morphing based on customer feedback and then also handling, like, you know, putting together a marketing platform and, you know, the, the public-facing website and the customer services. Like, that's that's beyond one person. Yeah, so so we can answer now. I think we've come to answer one of the biggest questions in life. How do you find a technical co-founder? How you find a technical co-founder is you develop significant market penetration and understanding of a market's problems. You build an audience, right? Mm-hmm. So... If I wanted to develop, say, you have a productivity app idea, mm-hmm. I bet we could probably cut a deal together where you would come and develop your productivity app for the entrepreneurial audience, and maybe we could cut a partnership deal on that. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I come to you with a productivity app idea and try to cut a technical co-founder deal with you, you're going to say, get lost, because I got enough good ideas. I think so. Well, no, if you came to me okay. with that idea, but you're a bad example. Hypothetically. Because, yeah, because, okay. And this is this is what we're this is this idea of if you want to get into SaaS, build an asset first. SaaS isn't going anywhere. You mm-hmm. don't need to do it at the beginning. Why not sell services or sell products or sell information or sell consulting? Get prove the market that way, and then you're gonna know. And when you I think, you know, when you dig into a lot of these successful SaaS stories, you're gonna see that. The founders, they understood the marketplace before they got in there. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Let's move on to the next question. Peter from the DC says, hey, Dan, I listen quite regularly to maybe dozens of various podcasts, but I got to say that the Tropical MBA podcast is the best thing I've ever heard on audio outside of Led Zeppelin. He didn't say that, but why not? How do you guys come up with so many ideas each time? The way you speak is amazing. It's like John Bonham on the drums, but in podcast form. It seems that you are coming up naturally with these ideas as you speak. How long does it take to prepare a single episode? Do you make notes or prepare a lot beforehand? Let's talk about the creative process, Jesse. You run a podcast called Smart Drugs, smarts.com, 25 episodes. It's become a significant asset for you, and you do it on the side. How do you approach the creative process? What's your advice for somebody getting started with podcasting? Well, I, I, you know, you've talked about this before, and I think it's definitely true. Is You go through the bumps and bruises when you started doing the first few of them before you find your rhythm. You, you start really talking differently in real life once you hear yourself recorded and played back a bunch. Going through the editing process and hearing all the ums and blah, blah, blahs and crap like that that we all do all the time that nobody cares about in real speech. But um, You do massive amounts of editing on your show too, right? I've heard rumors of you cutting out 15 minutes of a show. Well, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I I I used to do this too. I used to edit out every single um. And now I found that I don't um as much. I just don't um. That's what happens. Um. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we generally do about maybe hour-long conversations and try to edit that down to maybe the best 30 minutes. Because, I mean, the the fact is, it's like if you cut out the most boring or irrelevant 30 minutes, then what you're left with is going to be better. Your approach is interviews, which is a classic pack to getting great quality content. Some of the uh, 
PhDs and world thought leaders want to come onto your show to promote their ideas, to, to reach your audience, how do you prepare for an interview? And how do you decide who to interview? Well, first of all, the interview format's great because you do not have to be an expert. You just have to be a, a truly interested party, which in this case I am. And uh, yeah, finding people, I mean, luckily there's, there, you know, mine sort of deals with brains and neuroscience and stuff like that. And there's all sorts of, you know, newly published papers every week in these medical journals and stuff like that. So if you can kind of try to find some of these places where these dry, boring academic things are published, but then, you know, find the ones that look like they could be interesting to translate to a layperson audience and scratch beneath the surface and then just, you know, reach out to those people. You know, sometimes people say no or they're too busy or, or whatever, but, you know, we've been pretty lucky with getting some, some really high level guests on the show. And I think... You know, a lot of these people aren't necessarily media personality types that are that are often asked to speak to the public. Right. They're, they're you know talking to other academics, but I think it's kind of fun for them to be able to get on a regular show and break it down into layman's terms. There, Peter, if if I were to talk about this, I would say that, that it is get on a regular schedule. Number one, you have to commit to doing it, and you're going to have to power through the crappy part. Uh, I'm reminded of that Ira Glass quote where he talks about people with good taste, people with a creative instinct, they often get there because they see things that are beautiful in the world, like the Howard Stern show, like the Adam Carolla podcast, and you want to be a part of that. I want to be the next Jay Moore or whatever. I want to be a smooth talker on the radio making jokes. And the fact is, is that because you appreciate that so much, you're going to have extra pain at the beginning because you're going to realize how far away you are from that. And yeah. so just being prepared up front to power through that, go back and listen to my first podcast episode. It's garbage. And who cares? Whatever. You know, here's the thing. Over 50% of the people that listen to this right now think it's garbage anyway. So you're not getting free from that Where even you if you're that good. get that statistic, man? He's just making stuff up. It's true. People think this is garbage. There's probably a lot of people hate listening to this right now. They're, they're just listening to it because they love to hate the way that we talk. <laughs> they love to hate Dan Andrews. <laughs> Here's my advice. Have a focused creative format. If you go to this post, it's going to be at tropicalmba.com slash 1K. I will put the podcast, we call it the content rip sheet. And every week, I know that I have to record a podcast by Tuesday. And I've got one solid format that's like you click on record, you follow these 10 steps to get ready to record, and then you read off, here's how you prompt yourself to do be creative. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't get any easier. Every week, I have what, what I've uh, a word, let's call eustress. Are you familiar with this term? Yeah, yeah. It's the opposite of distress. It's positive pressure and stress that forces you to be creative. Before I hit record, Jesse, I don't know. I, I was a little bit worried. I'm a little bit worried about what we're going to say or is Peter going to find this advice valuable? I, look, it doesn't go anywhere for the creative artist. And I think that that's the value in doing it in the first place is you're pushing yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. So when we launch into this content rip sheet, we've got five clear points to talk about. And that makes it simple. I only got to think of five things during the week. I'm going to flip on the podcast thing. Boom, we're going to go. This week, we've got listener questions. And every week I'm walking around, Peter, I'm thinking about what we're going to do. And that's just it. I don't meet artists who are like, yeah, you know, I just, I mean, occasionally you'll meet people like that. But for me, it's always been difficult. So hopefully that's some kind of beacon to you, Peter, to flip on the thing, get started. Eventually, you know, you'll get more comfortable. Yeah, with it. I, I want to just add something to that real quick mm -hmm. on sort of creativity within constraints like that and, and having sort of a format that you stick to. Everybody loves Shakespeare. It's 500 years after the guy's been dead and everybody still loves Shakespeare. Best writer in the history of the English language, blah, blah, blah. You know, 75% of people who know anything will, will tell you that. And, and, you know, Shakespeare wrote in iambic pentameter. What the hell is iambic pentameter? Who knows? It was this weird way that they, <laughs> you know, structured words and numbers of syllables and stuff back then. But the point is, it was like in vogue at the time and this, this you know, 
tremendously talented guy was sort of forced to spend his whole career working within this, you know, coloring within the lines of iambic pentameter. And yet he was able to, you know, write 30, 40, whatever it is, plays that we still think are among the best things ever created. So you really can be kind of creatively set free by giving yourself a format to work within. I had an experience similar to this. So I want to point to a documentary I watched the other day while I was being lazy. It's called Back and Forth, and it's about the Foo Fighters. And it's, Foo Fighters are amazing, right? They they started this little garage band that the, you know, Dave Grohl, the front man of the, the biggest band in the world dies. He's obviously devastated that his best friend had committed suicide, writes these little songs, goes into his garage and records this demo. And now they can sell out Wembley Stadium. They play for the president. They're one of the biggest rock bands in the entire world to watch that journey unfold. But they had this one experience where they went into like the big fat rock star studio and, you know, they spent a million dollars and they had all this thing and they listened to it and they were like, I don't know if I want anybody to listen to this. And they then went back to the garage and they re-recorded it, and it was rocking. That's awesome. I've had the same experience. I've gone into a studio with a 32-channel Mackie mixer and a, and a, a semi-professional mix sound guy and all this kind of crap, and I've recorded junk. And you know why? Because I had too many options, too many knobs to turn. So if you can reduce the amount of knobs that you're turning and just do your thing white stripe style, three pieces, keep it simple, and focus on what people really care about, which is, well, you have to define that as the artist. But in the case of rock and roll, it doesn't need to be that complicated. It's the same thing with your business podcast. And let me tell you, Dan, practice what he preaches, because right now we've got a microphone sitting in like a Dixie cup on the table. <laughs> it's because I can't travel with the heavy steel bass, man. Hey, Ian Robinson from freedompodcasting.com gave us a call this week. Ian, let me... or. Uh... <laughs> Jesse, let me do a live read. Our phone number is 888-554-8428. You too can be on the Tropical NBA podcast like Ian Robinson from freedompodcasting.com. Hey, Dan and Ian. This is Ian Robinson from Freedom Podcasting. I have a question about bookkeeping. I know that many of us have these multinational micro corporations and managing expenses and keeping track of receipts and things is probably something we should be doing, right? Well, I'd love to have your insight on that as well. But I've also been looking through ideas like FreshBooks and Zero and QuickBooks. And I really want like an all-encompassing system that solves all these issues that I'm having with, you know, managing expenses and incomes and invoices. I was wondering if you guys had any insights on that. So thanks so much for the show, you guys. I really appreciate everything that you do. Talk to you later. All right, Jesse. No small deal. We're talking about bookkeeping You've got a significant business on your hands. How do you keep track of the invoicing, the money, the payroll, and all that stuff? I've, I've been using QuickBooks, and you know, despite the SaaS stuff we were talking about earlier, I'm not even using the online version of QuickBooks. I'm using old school QuickBooks. You know, bought the software for whatever it was, you know, 250 bucks, and have, have had it for a while. And every every couple of years, I'll upgrade it when they're like, "Hey, we've got QuickBooks 2014 coming out." Some years I do, some years I don't. But but yeah, that's what I've been using for. Has it been a problem for you? When you have a business partner in California to to share the books back and forth, to, to like email them or Dropbox it, or because um, there is the, that syncing issue with old school QuickBooks, right? When we've actually transferred the files, sometimes it's like, okay, now you've got the baton, now I've got the baton. But normally he's the one that that sort of you know runs the QuickBooks, and and if I need to see something, we'll either do a, a screen share over Skype or just you know print um go to the reporting section and yeah. print a PDF and just like. Here's the balance sheet. Here's the profit and loss statement, whatever it is, and just send some PDFs around. You were saying with Ciro that you felt like the pricing for the multiple currency wasn't 
was a little bit high. You know, I, I, when I looked at zero, it was it was probably about eighteen months ago. So I don't know if this has changed since then. But but yeah, I was looking at a solution that would allow multiple currencies to be handled, and I think it was like you know fifty bucks a month. It just seemed like you know why would I buy a six hundred dollar a year piece of software when I could get you know QuickBooks to do the same thing for three hundred dollars as a one time purchase, and it just you know the other great thing about plus Quick- the fact I knew QuickBooks, and I was like, why why change if it wasn't going to be dramatically better? Agreed. I'll say this to you, Ian. I like QuickBooks as a one-time thing. It's cheap. It's easy. Everybody in the industry knows it. So there's not an accountant on earth who can't do QuickBooks better than you, which is very nice. And you know, for uh, Ian and I complain about QuickBooks, but that's for inventory businesses. If you have a complex inventory business where you're doing kidding and inventory and all this kind of crap, then maybe you want to look into something else. But I think for a simple business, ain't nothing wrong with going old school QuickBooks sending around those reports. Here's the thing. Don't do it yourself. I think that's probably the most important thing is that this is valuable. This is like a no-brainer for outsourcing, right? You you want to have books. You want to be looking at your numbers every single month. You want to have a reporting function in your business, but you don't want to be doing it yourself. If you're just getting started the first six months, you might want to be shoeboxing everything, which is just you know dumping everything into a shoebox, making sure your cash flow is okay, and then going to a bookkeeper quarterly or on the half year or on the annual basis. But once you're up and running with cash flow, I would recommend every single month you want to have a bookkeeper entering all this stuff into QuickBooks so your books are tight. I agree with that. All right, Jesse, to round it off, our final question. Adrian writes us, hey guys, I have a thousand bucks to try and start a business. What should I do? An AdSense site, monetize my blog, start SEO writing, build an app, write a book for Kindle, start trading shares. I already have passive income from a real estate investment, a thousand bucks a month, but I want to get to over 5,000 bucks a month. I also own an iPhone app that makes around 50 bucks a month. All right, so we got a thousand bucks of monthly passive income. We want to figure out a way that was passive with with finger quotes by the way. How to get to 5,000 a month. Look, a lot of people Jesse, they dog me because of this $1,000 a month thing and a backpack. They think that I think small ball. They think that I'm just a loser backpacker, but I want to comment on that just really quickly and, and why I'm so passionate about this number. Because I see myself not only as an entrepreneur but as someone who values their time. I love, I love, love, love going to a cafe on a Tuesday afternoon or sitting here with you on a Monday morning or going to another country whenever I want or visiting my family when I want. That to me is just worth, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't accept money to not have that. And when you get that, you're to that basic level, you're at the moment where you can invest in yourself and you can invest in your art, you can invest in your business or whatever it is that you're interested in. And, uh, I think that that's cool. Like, what's the minimum level where I can get to the moment where I can do an investment in myself? And, uh, you know, it's not the case that I don't necessarily think that that's thinking small. I think that that's thinking, you know, we're just getting to this point where now, boom, I'm at square one. I got my time back. And for people that are in a job, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big deal. And that was a big deal for me. So that's my little rant about it. Let, let, me, let me just, you can cut this if you want to, but uh, <laughs> let me just vector off. Because I was just having a conversation with, with a, a, another guy who's sort of in, you know, location independent business dude. And we were talking about the holidays because it's about to be the holidays. And, um, you know, I was like, okay, so is it okay to bug you on Christmas or do you want me to wait till the 27th or whatever? I, I didn't know how seriously he was taking these things. And, and we, we, we got to the point where we were talking about how for people that have kind of the, the traditional job, you look forward to the holidays because you have, you know, maybe you're not having to, 
you know, go to your normal office job and those constraints are lessened on the holidays. But for a guy that, that sort of controls his own time because he's, he's, he's made his life, he's, you know, done the, uh, the lifestyle design thing to give himself the freedom he wants. We actually kind of resent the holidays sometimes because things like, you know, family obligations and this and that offer constraints that are there on those days that aren't there on our average day of the week. It's interesting. Uh, on a personal note, I elect not to visit my family during the holidays because I don't get any time with them because they're so busy with all of these like sort of I got to go to ex aunt's house and I got to buy all these problems and I'm all stressed out about like this dinner that I got to cook. And I'm like, how about I come two weeks later when the ticket prices are half price and we can hang out all day long? Totally. (laughs) All right. So what what about the business advice? One other little anecdote on this 1,000K month. I remember one thing. I was like, I don't know. Some people were giving me crap about it, and I was second-guessing it. You know, is this the wrong thing to think? And I remember Derek Sivers came up to me one time, and he's like, that $1,000 in a backpack thing, that's really cool. And I was like, (laughs) rock on, brother. (laughs) That's one aspiring musician to another. Right. (laughs) All right. Here's what I would suggest. Number one, $1,000 a month. $1,000 for, to build an asset or to purchase an asset, basically what you were saying is that's like a purgatory figure. It's not really enough to purchase any kind of asset. So it's basically like, what would you do if you had zero money? You, yeah, and, and listen to his question again. Like the thousand dollars a month is your living expenses if you're you know outside the U.S. and you're you know traveling around and living in a fairly cheap place. It's like it, it's not really what you're going to buy with that thousand dollars, other than your own time. It's it's really the question you should be asking is. What are your skill sets that are going to be you know, valuable when you put about in the world there? And, and what are things that you're going to be passionate about that you're going to be able to you know, sort of keep your level of motivation up over the next you know, three months, six months, 12 months, 1,000 days, whatever it is, to, um, to, to really be able to build up to that you know, $5,000 a month recurring revenue figure? So let's call it the entrepreneurial litmus test then. Because there's two elements when you get started with the business. There's the market side, which is very difficult to predict. And we've been talking about how we often send out all these little feelers in the forms of AdSense sites or blogs to try to see which markets are going to work. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other side, which is the entrepreneurial skill set. And I ask you this question, the entrepreneurial litmus test. How long would it take you to go out and build, with? if I took away your assets, $3,000 a month in personal income? And you said to me... That I could do it in a day. And I think that is true. And it represents your chops as an entrepreneur, but it also represents something interesting that you brought up and I think is really relevant, which is your network. Mm -hmm. So what I would do with that $1,000 is I wouldn't buy a niche site. I would not buy a blog. I would spend that $1,000 to buy myself a ticket to a conference or a ticket to a city where I can get myself into a group of people that don't have this problem. Because if you ask me what to do with $1,000, I got a list of 25 things that you can do with $1,000. But that's not the issue, is it? The issue is, is that you don't know what to do. And that that's an, an entrepreneurial skill set issue that needs to be dealt with. And I think the quickest way to get there on that stuff is to hang around with people that sort of have that sorted. So use $1,000 to get a gig. Use $1,000 to get a client. Because here's my problem. If you've got a suite of niche sites or of blogs or whatever, yet you don't have the skill set to get one client at $3,000 a month, I worry. I worry about mm-hmm. your ability to make it happen with the niche site. Because it's kind of like it's the fundamentals. It's like in basketball. If you can't get in the right stance or move around the court, I don't care if you can shoot three-pointers. You know what I mean? So it's like getting the fundamentals right out of the gate. So can you use your position of time to go out and get yourself a client? Here's how I'd do it. I'd consider a problem that I can solve. Say you said SEO writing. How about this? They need authority articles written. So I'm going to create a recurring service product in four hours. It's going to be called 
authority web bundle. And what you're going to get when you suggest the bundle or when you, when you come to my landing site, it's going to have uh, all the benefits of getting the bundle. And then it's going to have all the features of the bundle. There's going to be seven research authoritative articles under SEO optimized landing pages planted on your domain. Isn't that something you'd want, Jesse, on your technology site? Of course, because people that searching for web developer in Vietnam, maybe you need a, an awesome researched article with an infographic about the scene in Vietnam, and maybe it includes an interview with you and real case studies on that article, and it's 10,000 words. And to get that authority bundle, it's only $3,500. I put up that in about four hours, and then I hit the phones. I start mm -hmm. working the network because I did go to the conference and because I did fly to Chiang Mai or to New York or to wherever my people are and I'm calling everybody that I know and I'm saying, hey, I've got Authority Web Bundle. Check it out. It's at authoritywebbundle.com. It's only $3,500. 24 hours later, boom, I'm in business. No AdSense site required. Your thoughts? My, my, I guess I just want to <laughs> color that with saying the calling everybody you know part of that is huge. And I would be thinking about the reason I feel like I could easily do that within a day is because there's a bunch of people that I know that know that I have a certain skill set. You would want to think about what are the people that you know that, that they know you're good at a certain thing. I mean, everybody's got their their areas of skill. Everybody's got their things that they might love doing. But sometimes the things that we love doing and the things that we're actually really good at doing and everybody knows you're really good at that one thing. Aren't, aren't, don't necessarily line up. It's great if they do. Those people are, are the luckiest people in the world. But don't worry so much about like, I'm so passionate about knitting crocheted underwear. It's like if yeah. and everybody tells you, dude, you shoot great three-pointers. I mean, that's a stupid example. But whatever. F find, find the things that you consistently hear, damn, you're good at that. Like where do you have an unfair competitive advantage versus other people? Don't necessarily be like, you know, I think they're, I think SEO is a great thing to get into right now. I think SaaS apps are a great thing to get into right now. I mean, both of those might be true statements, but the fact is if you don't have something that's going to make those marketplaces like a better battlefield for you than for the other guys that are interested in the same thing, you're doing yourself a disservice. Think about the, the areas where... Agreed. It's that kind of type of engagement too that brings passion, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's all of a sudden you've got people that care about what you're doing and they seek out your advice and they're interested in your business and it's paying you money and now you can get out of it. And I don't like this idea that like you're building a portfolio with your first thousand bucks. It's like, that's something that you do when you're already got the, you know, 20 grand a month coming in, like relatively leveraged income. And then you want to spread out an investment or whatever, you know, this portfolio stuff, it's too low impact. Let's start focusing on really building the business from scratch get somebody in charge of that cash flow and you'll be out of it in a couple months, right? Because something like Authority Web Bundle, you can hire somebody to do that, right? Right out of the gate. Yeah. So I, I scratch up some income, roll up the sleeves, enough of this buy securities kind of stuff. Let's build businesses because it's those securities, those portfolio people, they want to buy what you got, which is a highly adaptable, explosive small business like authoritywebbundle.com or whatever you do. All right, that's the end of this thing. This is tropicalmba.com slash 1K. We're here every Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And a special thank you to Jesse the Dominator Lawler from smartdrugsmarks.com, from Evil Genius Technology, and valleyup.com. Always a pleasure, Jesse. My pleasure being here, Dan. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds 
of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.